Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Omnis Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Now, of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror in the pop culture realm. If you're into reviews, top ten lists, recommendations, interviews, pretty much whatever you want, they'll have. So go check out MorbidlyBeautiful.com right now. They also have a great podcast library, which this is a part of. So go check out all the other great podcasts on the network as well. Now, today's story is one that I mentioned last week when we were talking about the Shag Harbor UFO incident. And that would happen to be the Falcon Lake incident, which also took place in 1967. This case is one of the most well-known and well-documented cases of UFO discovery or extraterrestrial life forms the planet has ever seen, not just in Canada, but around the world. Some would say it even rivals Roswell in terms of scale and, well, maybe even some controversy. But we'll get to that in a second. This is the Falcon Lake UFO Incident. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Now, it's no surprise that the skies above any region on the planet can be a bit mysterious at times. There's a whole bunch of unexplained phenomena that go on from UFOs, like we're talking about today, to simple things like meteors or even beautiful things like the Aurora Borealis. Nevertheless, whenever something strange happens, somebody, if they see it, will document it. And that's what we got here with our case of the Falcon Lake UFO incident. Now, this all sort of started with a donation, I guess you could say, from a man called Chris Rikowski. And he's a science writer and a prolific Canadian ufologist. It's believed that Rudikowski's collection includes more than 20,000 UFO reports filed over the past 30 years, which is almost a thousand a year, which is quite a bit. And there's more, reportedly, than 10,000 UFO-related documents from the Canadian government as well. What Rudikowski did with these records and these collections was donate them to the University of Manitoba. Now, many of these documents concern famous UFO encounters, such as the Falcon Lake incident, which we're going to talk about today. It's an encounter that Rudikowski says is Canada's best documented UFO case. He goes on to say, quote, It even beats Roswell, because the United States still doesn't recognize that anything happened in Roswell. Now, Rudikowski told all this to the CBC. There is one thing to note here as well, that the Falcon Lake incident did strike chords with both the US and Canadian officials as very unusual and unexplainable. Now, the event in question took place on May 20th, 1967, when an amateur geologist named Stefan McCulloch was prospecting for quartz near Falcon Lake in Manitoba, which is in kind of Midwestern Canada, kind of right above North Dakota for my American friends. And like many things in Canada, it's a big old place, and it stretches roughly 1,200 kilometers up into the very frigid north of Canada. During his search, 
McCulloch was startled by a flock of agitated geese swooping past him. Now, according to McCulloch and his numerous retellings of the story, which are very, very strikingly similar to one another, the geese were apparently fleeing from two glowing cigar-shaped objects in the sky. One of the objects flew off, and the other landed on a rocky terrace nearby. This was time for an investigation, if there ever was one. McCulloch spent some time sketching the mysterious craft, which I will provide probably in the show notes or as a thumbnail or something on social media, if nothing else. Very interesting. Very, very fascinating, classic UFO-looking object. Those sketches are now part of the University of Manitoba's collection, which apparently does seem to be the kind of epicenter for all UFO information in Canada. Nevertheless, after spending some time drawing and observing these objects, he approached. That's right, Mr. McCulloch approached the UFO. He said the air was warm and smelled of sulfur, and the craft was noisy with whirs and hisses. The saucer was hot to the touch, so hot that it burned the tips of McCulloch's gloves. It sounded like there were voices coming from within as well. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw a UFO land, going up to it is ballsy, touching it is insane, and if you hear voices, I've seen enough movies, you run the other way. Nothing good can come from hearing voices inside a spacecraft that just potentially crash-landed beside you. Just run. Just get the hell out of there. And it even goes further than that. McCulloch looked into the craft through an open door. He wasn't entirely sure what to expect when those doors opened. Most likely, he thought, would be US military operators, or even Canadian military men themselves. But no. He was met with a series of blinking lights on a panel, and then the door closed. The craft rotated, and some searing hot gas was sprayed through the exterior of the ship through a series of tiny little holes. They scorched him. The attack set McCulloch's shirt and hat ablaze, and left him with first-degree burns on his stomach that echoed the ship's grid-like pattern. A hospital in Winnipeg, which is in Manitoba, treated his burns which later rose into welts, and he suffered headaches, diarrhea, and blackouts for several weeks. Now, I've heard of other UFO and alien encounters, and that is very common. The diarrhea, the headaches, the nausea, dizziness, blacking out, they're all symptoms that people have reported when they have claimed to have been abducted. Is it coincidence? Was he the first to start this sort of myth, or is it the actual case when encountering a specific race of alien life form. Very interesting questions, very interesting descriptions. Now, after all this happened, McCulloch did report all this information to the US and Canadian authorities, and he eventually completed a psychological and physiological evaluation at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. The clinic determined that McCulloch was indeed of sound mind and was not hallucinating. Years later, a twisted piece of metal was recovered from the alleged Falcon Lake landing site. Tests show that the metal was highly radioactive, and to this day, neither the Canadian nor the US military or Air Force or government has been able to explain the event. All of Rudikowski's records on the Falcon Lake incident, plus thousands of other reported UFO encounters, will hopefully be available very shortly on the University of Manitoba's archives and special collections through a website or maybe their library. There is a crowdfunding campaign currently going on to get these funds 
there so they can release these records. There's still like 28 days left and they got a long, long way to go. They're hopefully reaching $25,000 and they currently sit at $2,700 at the time of this recording, of course. But that's not all there is to know about Falcon Lake. The CBC did cover this story quite a bit back then and they did a recent follow-up. They talked to his son, that is Stan McCulloch or Stephen McCulloch's son, and he can vividly remember what it was like when his dad came home sick and injured after something happened in the woods near Falcon Lake. It was something that put his family and life into upheaval and remains one of the world's best-known UFO encounters. Even to this day, Stan recalls being nine years old when his dad had this incident. He recalled seeing him in bed, quote, saying he didn't look good at all. He looked pale and haggard. The injuries and illnesses were so severe at the time that he was only allowed to see his dad for a couple of minutes for a few days after the incident occurred. He also mentioned a smell, quote, when I walked into the bedroom, there was a huge stink in the room, like a horrible aroma of sulfur and burnt motor. It was all around, and it was coming out of his pores. It was bad. The event was so influential on Stan that he eventually co-authored a book with Chris Rudikowski. It's called When They Appeared, and it is available on Amazon. Now, I haven't been able to read it yet, but I really would like to pick it up one day. It seems like a very fascinating read. Anything that features a first-hand account as well as information from an expert in ufology has got to be a page-turner. It's got to be a very fascinating read. Moreover, Stan goes on to say he was very afraid at the time. He said, My dad had been injured and I didn't know anything about it. But that soon changed. When just a few days later, not only did he know more, but it seemed like everybody knew more. The story was featured in the Winnipeg Tribune newspaper, and that's when everything pretty much hit the fan, McCulloch said, noting that his life would never be the same again. The event caused such a stir that it appeared on TV shows and magazines, and more notably things like Unsolved Mystery. He explained how he saw two cigar-shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering about 45 meters away from where he was doing his survey. He recounted to all these different outlets, saying that one descended, and according to his account, landing on a flat section of rock and taking on more of a disc shape, as if it transformed once it landed. The other remained in the air for a few minutes before flying off. And this is where I mentioned earlier that his story has stayed shockingly similar throughout all the retellings of his account. Despite talking to so many different people being asked the same questions so many times in different ways, he always had the same answer. He believed it to be a US military experimental craft, he sketched it, touched it, saw what was inside, and then was burned by some sort of unknown gas. The sounds, the smells, the sights, all of it were the same. Furthermore, he noted that the exterior was very smooth and the ship appeared to have no seams in it. Now, of course, once the media picked up all this attention, then the RCMP, the Air Force, and all sorts of other international media conglomerates decided they wanted a piece of the action too. According to McCulloch's family, the public descended upon them. They gawked, they followed, they stalked, and even set up camp outside of his home in River Heights, Winnipeg. 
and all that just happens to be the inspiration for the title of McCulloch's book, When They Appeared. You might think it's about aliens, but no. It's about all the people and all the attention that came their way. He said it just flipped our lives over. It took several years before it all finally died down. After that, and until the day he died in 1999 at the age of 83, Stefan believed he never should have said a thing. But at the time, he felt it was his duty. He was a proud Canadian and he thought, mm, this is probably very important. Maybe I should tell somebody. And of course, at the time, he did want others to know. He wanted to know if other people saw the same thing he did. He didn't necessarily want to avoid it, and he didn't want to get hurt, but he did have the curiosity that any human being might have in that same instance. It's also important to note here that Stefan wasn't some kook. We already got the explanation from the Mayo Clinic that he was of sound mind, but just a little bit more background about this guy. He was an immigrant from Poland, and there he was a military policeman, and he lived by a set of moral guidelines that was instilled with him at a very young age. He lived by the idea that if something happened, you should report it. Now, in addition to constant probing from authorities, the family endured condemnation and criticism from the public. Stefan's sanity was questioned, and McCulloch was bullied in school. That is Stan, not Stefan, obviously. There are parts of him that kind of wish all of this never happened. Apparently, part of Stefan wished none of this had ever happened but he was also kind of happy that he never backed away either. He also never claimed to have seen aliens, and still considered it a secret military craft. His son went on to say, If you ask him what it was, he could describe it in intimate detail, but he would never say, Oh, it was definitely extraterrestrials. Because there was no evidence to prove that. He might ask, What do you think I saw? But right up until he died, his story never changed one iota. Nothing about it, or how he told it, Stan said. In all those years since, and with some 300 pages of documentation on the encounter, there's nothing so far that has flawed his story, McCulloch said. So what does he think? I'm not so close-minded that I can't entertain the possibility that it is otherworldly. I can't discount that, but without specific evidence to show me that it is, I simply don't know. That is obviously Stan McCulloch's retelling of what he thinks happened. He goes on to say, What I can tell you is that I am an aviation fanatic, a huge aviation buff, and I'm very familiar with how aviation technology has advanced in the past 50 years, and that there was nothing even close to that in the works anywhere at that time. And that is something that kind of lends credence to what Stefan believes it to be, which is a secret military aircraft. The case was intensely investigated as well, and it wasn't just done by one level of government, but multiple levels of government, and the official conclusion, even from the United States Air Force, was that the case was unexplained. Many avenues were looked at, and items were retrieved from the encounter site, including Stephen's gloves, shirt, and some tools, which were subjected to extensive analysis at an RCMP crime lab, and no one could determine what caused the burns. At the landing site, there was a circle about 15 feet in diameter, devoid of the moss and vegetation growing in other areas on the same rock outcropping. Soil samples along with samples of clothing were tested and deemed to be highly radioactive. So were the pieces of metal that were chipped out of the cracks in the rock about a year after the incident. 
the metal had somehow been melted into the cracks. Of course, many of the items have long since been lost as they were transferred through various authorities and agencies. However, Rudikowski and McCulloch still have one of the pieces of metal, which remains radioactive to this day. One thing I forgot to mention earlier was that one of the reasons why Stefan went to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota was because he was still sick and suffering from blackouts and the burns on his chest even a year later. As I mentioned, the doctors did a thorough investigation and sent him to a psychiatrist who came back with the report that this fellow, who's very pragmatic, down to earth, pardon the pun, does not make up stories, Rudikowski said. His son went on to say, if dad hoaxed this, remember we're talking about a blue collar industrial mechanic. If he hoaxed it, then he was a freaking genius. I happen to agree. If this was any kind of hoax, then, well, Stefan had a lot of time on his hands and he prepared this very, very well. I don't think it was a hoax. I think what McCulloch saw in the forest or the woods of Falcon Lake was a UFO. Again, I mean that in the truest of senses, an unidentified flying object. This does not mean that this was an extraterrestrial craft by any stretch. As he said, he never saw any aliens. There was no proof of an extraterrestrial life force flying this spacecraft. Could it have been an early drone? Possibly. But then how do we explain the burns, the radiation, and the metal that melted into the rock? Now these are all substances that you'd think would be known to man and would have answers, but apparently they don't, which is all the more confusing. My conclusion to this is that, as I said, McCulloch saw something probably out of this world. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but what else can I do? Everybody who investigated this doesn't have an answer. There's no reason for what happened to have had happened. And with the upbringing of Stefan McCulloch being a military policeman, it seems unlikely that he would hoax something like this or make it up. The evidence is there, but just like every other UFO case out there, we're missing the key pieces. We're missing the aliens. We're missing any form of communication. All we have are some burns, some radiation, and some melted metal. What do you think about this case? How do you think it stacks up to other famous UFO cases around the world? From Roswell to the Rendlesham Forest incident. Let me know. UFOs are becoming a very high fascination point for me, so feel free to share with me any information you have about personal stories or just opinions on the topic in general. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or even Facebook. Stitcher is an option as well. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd as in production, on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod, or on Facebook at HorrorShots. If you want to support the cast financially, you can do so as well by hitting up my Patreon at patreon.com slash Horror shots, or lastly, rock some merch through my Redbubble store. There's a whole bunch of great original designs, as well as the Ominous Origins and Horror Shots logos. Check it all out. The link will be in the description below. Don't forget, any five-star reviews that are left will be read on the show. It's a great way to get a shout-out. So, until next week when I come to you with a brand new story in the realm of dark history. <laughs>